Well, if I were to have a Bible reading tonight, I'd have to read the whole of Paul's letter to the Romans because the references to Christ throughout Romans are so extensive. There are so many of them, it would be impossible just to choose one particular passage that would represent most of what Paul has to teach. But when we look at Paul's writing to the Romans, we find that Christ is indeed the main focus of his letter. Yes, he has focused attention on different aspects of the biblical truth, but his main focus is on Christ. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. That's how he begins his letter, and that's how he describes himself. That's how he thinks of himself. Not as Paul the Apostle, although he is, and he doesn't hide that fact. He was called to be an Apostle, he says so. Not that he was one who was set apart for the Gospel of God, a great preacher. He, he is, and he was, and he mentions it. But the first thing that occurs to him is that he is a servant of Christ Jesus. And that should be first in all of our lives, that we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, that we belong to him, that it is he who has made all the difference in our lives. And he is the one who has transformed us. He's the one who forgives us our sins and heals us and ministers to us in so many different ways. And he's the one we're looking forward to coming back for us. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ is the focus of our study tonight. Let's look at his person. Paul speaks about his humanity, his ancestry in chapter 1 and verse 3. Regarding his son, Jesus Christ, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. Yes, that was the family that he belonged to. Because God had told his servant David that he was going to raise up from his descendants one who would rule over the nations and would bring salvation to Israel. In chapter 9 and verse 5, he makes another reference to the human ancestry. Speaks about the Jews. And he says in verse 5, Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. God chose this people not only because he wanted to bless them but because he wanted them to be an example to us of how he can use an unexpected and unsuspecting and indifferent people, people who really had no major exploits or it wasn't like they were Greeks with their stress on 
the intelligence and wisdom. It wasn't like they were Romans with their stress on power and authority. It wasn't like that they were anything special except God. And he made all the difference. Friend, you don't have to be something special for God to use you. You don't have to have super intelligence. You don't have to have a great ancestry or uh, have some position of power. You've just got to be available to God. And that's what makes you a servant of Christ Jesus. His ancestry was there in that innocuous, un, unauthoritative tribe of Israel. He's also described in chapter 5 and verse 14 as the second Adam. Oh. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Adam, the first human, failed God. Rebelled against God. Said, I'm going my own way. I'm, I'm going to listen to my wife. I'm not going to listen to God. And from him, the human race began its fallen existence. Oh yes, being the first man, married to the first woman, wow, what a position to be in. Until sin intervened. The first sinner first one to deliberately disobey God, the first one to bring condemnation upon the whole human race. <laughs> Who wants to be linked to someone like that? Well, he was a pattern for the one to come, because the one to come would carry all our sins in himself and make atonement for our sins. Not only is he described as the second Adam, but also his incarnation is emphasized in chapter 8 and verses 3 and 4. 8, verse 3, what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who did not live, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Yes, he was incarnate in human form. And anyone looking on him would see him as no different to any other man who was walking around on the earth at that time. Maybe he was taller. Maybe he was slimmer. Maybe he was more athletic. I don't know. We don't even know what he looked like when he was upon earth. I know that 
different artists have tried to depict what they thought he probably looked like, but we, we can't be sure that that's what he looked like. He could have been not tall, but short. He could have been not slim, but broad. Who knows what he actually looked like upon earth? It didn't matter. He was God incarnate. What matters is not what's on the outside. What matters is what's going on on the inside. God doesn't care what you look like. Christ cares about who you are and what you behave like. He's described in chapter 8 and verse 29 as the firstborn, the firstborn. Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Oh, my dear friends. It's nice to have an older brother. Well, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is the older brother to every one of us? And we have someone to look up to, someone to follow, someone to realize that he isn't just another man, but he is God incarnate. Because that's how Paul describes him here in Romans. Look back at chapter 1 and verse 4. Chapter 1 and verse 4. After speaking of his human nature as a descendant of David, Paul says, who, And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, he was declared with power to be the Son of God. He wasn't just another man. He was God incarnate. His name speaks of the fact that he is our Savior because that's what the word Jesus means. God is our Savior. Oh, in the past, anyone called by that name, they were pointing to God. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is God incarnate who is the Savior. It's not somebody else, someone out there, someone to look for, someone to anticipate. No. He is himself, God, our Savior. And so with one heart and one mouth, Paul says in chapter 15, verse 6, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he is the one. But look at this title. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 3, 
It says regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and through the spirit of holiness was declared to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's not just another man. He is the Lord, the Lord of all. The Lord, potentially, of your life and mine. That means that he decides and determines everything that happens to us. Yes, we have people who carry that title in some countries, but the Lord Jesus Christ didn't just carry the title of Lord, he lived it. He is the Lord. Chapter 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We have to confess him as Lord. We have to make him and acknowledge him as Lord of our life in every part and in every aspect. He is the Lord. He's the one who decides day by day what he wants us to do and how he wants us to behave and the kind of things he wants us to spend our time on. We don't just choose for ourselves and say, well, I hope that pleased you, Lord. If not, too bad. I've already done it. No. Acknowledging him as Lord says, Lord, what will you have me to do? That was a, probably the most common phrase to say to a Lord, no matter who it was. Lord, what will you have me to do? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ has the authority and the power to do exactly that. Chapter 15 and verse 6. So with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, that's our intention and that's our plan. His activity is amazing. Chapter 2 and verse 16. Chapter 2 and verse 16. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's hearts through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Do you know that God is going to judge us by how we reacted to and responded to the lordship of his son? That's going to be the determining factor not whether you attended church, not whether you signed on the dotted line, not whether you were immersed in water. No. It's how did you respond to the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you acknowledge him as Lord? Then you're a believer. You're part of the family of God. You're saved. You're transformed. We need to recognize 
that his activity is by no means complete when we surrender our lives to him. Chapter 10 and verse 17. Chapter 10 and verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. He tells us what's God's will. Now that's great. Because most of us would spend all our lives wondering, I wonder what God wants me to do. I wonder what he wants me to do in this situation or in that particular situation. Listen to the Lord, the Lord Jesus. He will tell you exactly what he wants you to do in every given situation. And even when you don't hear an audible voice in your heart, you will hear something that says, this is the way. Walk in it. He's the only one who could say, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to know how to please God? Listen to Jesus. He's the only one who can enable us to do. And that's how he is active in our world even today. He is the object of our worship. Yes. I know the term object doesn't sound too good, but I couldn't find any better word. He is the one that we worship. Not an idol on a shelf or on a stand, but a saviour who is with us in every situation. Look at chapter 9 and verse 5. Again, Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Is it God over all who is forever praised? Well, actually, in the Greek, it's very clear. It's the Christ who is forever praised. And then Paul inserts that great word. Amen. It shall be so. Yes, we are going to praise the Lord. We're going to seek his face. We're going to worship him. We're going to give him all the glory because he is worthy of our praise and our worship. Chapter 14 and verse 18. Chapter 14 and verse 18. Scripture declares to us the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy, Ghost, Holy Spirit because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men oh yes people recognize very quickly the kind of behavior that we're putting in and they realize that we are actually serving the living God. Let's move on a chapter to chapter 15 and look at verses 16 and 17. 
verses 16 and 17 of chapter 15. Paul was called to be a minister of Christ, servant of Christ, that's what the word minister means, a servant of Christ to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's part of our worship, proclaiming the gospel that others might know. He's also not just the object of our worship, but also the object of our faith. Chapter 3 and verse 22. Chapter 3, verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. Oh yes, we all needed his forgiveness, but all who believe receive the righteousness that comes from God. Why? Because of some good thing we've done? No. Because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We put our faith in him. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. All we did was put our faith in him, trust him, but by trusting him, we're surrendering the whole of our lives, the whole of our efforts, the whole of everything we are to him. And we're saying, Lord, I'm depending upon you. I'm relying upon you to carry me through and to be glorified in my life. But what about the law? There's law, there's laws to keep. Yes, there are laws to keep. God issued laws. Well, let's look and see what the Bible says about law in chapter 10 and verse 4. Christ is the end of the law. So there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, Paul doesn't mean the law is cancelled and so there's now no more law, no No, it means that he fulfills completely the law of God so that obedience to him fulfills every requirement of the law. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and you'll love your neighbour as yourself. And if you And that fulfills all the law and the prophets... Yes, that love that he puts in our hearts, which starts out with a love for him, that love that he puts in our hearts enables us not only to love God and honour God, that was the first tablet of the Ten Commandments, if you remember what I shared the other week, 
but also to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the second uh, tablet of the Ten Commandments. And on those two tablets was the whole summary of what God wants of you and me, what God requires of us. And it was Christ who made it possible. He put love in our hearts. And he accepts us. Yes, in chapter 15 and verse 7, this is what Paul says. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That's verse 7. Now let's move on to verse 17. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. It is he who receives us, transforms us, and shows us the way we ought to live. You see, it all stems back to his provision. First of all, his death on our behalf. Oh, yes. That is the most amazing aspect of our lives, that Christ would die for you and for me. Romans chapter 5 and verses, starting at verse 6. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That was me. And you. And all of us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, okay, modify your ways, straighten your life up, and then I'll die for you. Then I'll provide the sacrifice that's needed. No. He did it even while we were still sinners. God is faithful. Let's look on into chapter 8 and verses 32 and 34. Chapter 8, verses 32 and 34. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Wow. By his death on the cross, he opened up a way for us to receive every good thing that God has for us. For I'm convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present or the future nor any other powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's all in Christ. And it's all for you and for me. Because he provides what we need most of all. According to chapter 3 and verse 24, he provides redemption. Redemption. Yes. 
We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. No other source of redemption except him. And he is the one who provides it for us. He provides us with peace. Chapter 5, verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He provides us with grace through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. He's the way in. Wow. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look further down at verse 15 in that same book. Same chapter, verse 15. The gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many. God's favor, that's what grace is. God's favor overflows to you and to me, not because of any good thing in us, but because of what he did upon that cross. By his death, we have received peace, grace. We're saved from wrath. Chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Forgiveness, hope, deliverance. We don't have to face the wrath of God all because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. He took all the problems upon himself that we might enjoy freedom from sin and freedom from the fear of the wrath of God. And further down in verse 17, we find out that that isn't all that his death upon the cross provided for us. Verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, <clears throat> how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? We receive life. Life that will go on for all eternity. That's how verse 21 describes it. Just as sin reigned in death, so grace might reign through righteousness <coughs> to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you know you're going to live forever? No, oh, we do all kinds of things to extend our life here upon the earth. We eat wisely. We exercise wisely. We behave wisely. We watch out for the traffic signals wisely. 
We watch out for other people who may not be observing the traffic signals. Yesterday, we were going home and a guy came out of a parking lot in front of us, right in front of us, had to brake hard to avoid running into him. I think we, we missed him by maybe three or four inches. Oh yes, yeah, we, we do all kinds of things to live. My friend, in Christ Jesus, you're going to live forever. You're going to live on and on and on, <clears throat> not just enduring life, but enjoying life in all its fullness and in all its grace. Yes, God is faithful. Well, if that's what his death provides, <clears throat> what about his resurrection? Well, in the first place, according to chapter 1 and verse 4, it demonstrates his deity. Chapter 1, verse 4, through the spirit of holiness, he was declared to with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Yes, because he came to life again when no one expected it. I mean, even his disciples didn't expect that he was going to come to life again. In fact, they were astonished. And one of them, Thomas, said, unless I can put my finger in the, in the nail prints and put my hand in his side, I won't even believe that he's alive again. He's alive. One week later, Thomas, stretch out your hand. Here I am. Oh my, he's alive. He's alive forevermore. He demonstrates his deity by his resurrection from the dead. Chapter 14 and verse 9. Chapter 14 and verse 9. So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll, be, you'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all kinds of languages, but the language that carries most effectively is the language that Jesus is risen from the dead. He is alive and alive forevermore. And through his resurrection, we know that we are justified by faith. He is the one who has made us righteous in God's sight. Let's look at chapter 4 and verse 24 and 25. But for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead, he was delivered over to sin, over to death for our sins, and was raised to life for our justification. We are made just as if we never sinned because he's alive. He rose again. And we are now children of God. Yes, Chapter 5, verse 10. 
if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? His offer is extending throughout every age, every year, people are coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal saviour, not just in ones and twos, but in thousands upon thousands, even millions have come into the kingdom of God as children of God, saved because Jesus is alive. And he is still applying the benefits of his death to the lives of myriad human beings. Chapter 10 and verse 9 tells us that it is he who makes it possible for us to believe. What does it say? The word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith we're proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, uh, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. He makes it possible for us to believe. Yes, he's not only resurrected, but he is exalted. And in his exaltation, according to chapter 8 and verse 10, in his exaltation, he comes to live within us. We'll start with verse 9. You are controlled, not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Christ living in you. You're not alone. You have an internal and eternal companion, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you always to the end of the world. He's right there with us. Right there inside. So long as you've got a heart that's beating, there's someone else in there. The Lord Jesus Christ is there with you. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through. When you're in an argument, he's with you, directing you. When you're in a problem, he's with you, directing you, giving you the solution, giving you the answer. Whatever you're facing, he is right there with you because he is dwelling in you. He's chosen to make your life his dwelling. Oh, that is amazing. And not only is he living within us, but also he is interceding for us. Verse 26, 
In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we should pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 34. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father and is also interceding for us. I didn't know that he was praying for me all the time, even when I'm tempted to wander, even when I don't know which way to go, even when I don't know what the answer is. There he is praying for me, praying for you. He's giving us wisdom. Can anything separate us from his love? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No. In all these things we're more than conquerors through him who saved us. None of these things can separate us from his love because that's in Christ Jesus our Lord and our Lord is in us. Oh, yes, what a transformation. We are, according to chapter 12 and verse 5, incorporated in Christ. We are made part of the body of Christ. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member that's each one of us belongs to all the others yes we may have different gifts but friends we're made into one body because we have one common spirit the spirit of Christ living in us making us into the kind of people that he wants us to be. And according to chapter 13, that's not just theoretical. That is enabling us to fulfill God's will and to do exactly what pleases God. So let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't even think about how to desire or gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Why? Because the one in you has a plan. And he wants you to be more and more like him. But that doesn't end it. Oh, no. One day, he is coming back again. Verse 11 assures us, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. What is our hope? Our hope is that the Lord Jesus Christ will return 
for his own. He's going to return to reign over all the nations. Chapter 15 and verse 12. Isaiah said, the root of Jesse will spring up. That's speaking of Christ. One who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. Yes, he is our hope that one day all the problems that the nations of this world are facing, they'll all be gone because Christ will be on the throne and we will see him reigning and ruling and fulfilling his will. Yes, my dear friends, who, those who are elected to Congress are not the end of the story. Those who are, elect, are appointed to the Senate, they're not the end of the story. Even the president and vice president and speaker of the house is not the end of the story. Those who inherited the throne in the royal kingdoms of this world, they're not the end of it. Christ, he's the one who is coming to reign supreme. Oh, we're looking forward to that day. What a day that will be when our Savior we shall see, when we look upon his face, the one who saved us by his grace. What a day. That's going to be an incredible day because when he comes, let's look at chapter 8, verse 17. Chapter 8 and verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Oh, it's going to be a glorious day. It's going to be a day when all the misery of the past is forgotten and we are reigning with him in glory. If you want to read more about that, of course, you need to turn to the book of Revelation because John really goes to town on that point as to what it's going to be like when he comes back. Oh, yes, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming for you and for me. He's coming to reign and we are going to reign with him in glory. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified, verse 30. And those he justified, he also glorified. Did you know you're going to be glorified one day? You're going to be so radiant with the glory of God. You're not going to need electric lights in your new home in heaven. All you've got to do is look at the glory in the face of your brother, your sister, your wife, your children, and you're going to be radiant with the very presence of God. It's frustrating when the light goes out, frustrating when the light bulbs fail, 
We're never going to face that in heaven. Not in his presence. We have got the glory of the Lord shining upon us and we are heirs of God. Still in verse 17 of chapter 8. If we're children, then we're heirs. What is an heir? An heir is one who will inherit everything that the Father has for him. You're in line. And you don't have to wait. Because we enjoy being heirs of God. Right here and right now. And we're co-heirs with Christ. Christ has called us alongside himself and said, come and share all that I have for you and all that I have enjoyed for all eternity. Oh, my dear friends, we've got a lot to look forward to. We've got a lot to look forward to. Let's not be disappointed with the way things are going here and now. Let's look forward to the fact one day we shall see him in all his glory and we will enjoy the fullness of God's presence and God's blessing. My dear friends, you are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Let's praise him for it. <laughs>